Well, today we continue in John chapter 13. We look into verses 36 through a uh, through 38. As I've spent time thinking about this um, this text this week, uh, a particular image has come to mind. Um, and uh, yeah, there you go. Um, it's it's cute, huh? Um, we can all relate. We've uh, we've seen the little toddler flexing his muscles, and it's it's cute for a lot of reasons. Just you know, if you need a good uh, a good awe, then look at a toddler. But but there's also a, a cuteness to this picture because this little guy is confident in muscles that just aren't there, right? He's flexing, but he's a picture of something. The picture of the folly of misplaced confidence. Now, he probably doesn't have a worry in the world. But in this text, we see another person who has uh, misplaced confidence. It's easy for us to see it in the text where we'll go here in a few moments, but do we see it in the mirror? There are areas of your life where you're like this little guy and, and flexing muscles that just aren't there. There are areas of your life where you're confident in muscles that aren't yet ready to bear the load that you're about to place on them. The passage where we're going to look today and John points to another youngster, Peter. And it exposes him and, in a sense, exposes us. But as we look to the text, I also want you to listen for the hints of hope. Because as Jesus is, is exposing this in Peter and in us, he's also peeking through to the other side. He's peeking through to, to the other side of redemption. We're going to look to... This text, before we do so, I want, to, I want to pray for us. So would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we ask that as we come to your word, that you would speak to us loudly, clearly. Would you transform us by this word as you draw us to a deeper, truer strength? In Christ. Do this, we pray, in His name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Peter, Peter was clumsy. Say that in the outline, he was, uh, he was, a clumsy disciple, he was a clumsy follower, but 
But why was Peter clumsy? It's the better question. Yes, there is a sense in which Peter is, is that little toddler flexing. He's, he's clumsy because uh, he's, he's overconfident, and we'll get to that in a moment. But, but there's a point that I want to draw out first. Peter's clumsy because he loved. He loved deeply. He loved passionately. And he loved the person of Jesus. Last week, we carved out two verses. Verses 34 and 35, they were Jesus' new commandment to love one another as he has loved us. Those are two powerful, punchy verses that we carved out because we needed to spend some focused time there. They, they, they set a course for, for our life as, as Christians. But as powerful and, and as profound as those two verses were, it's almost as if Peter couldn't hear them. Because the last thing Peter heard was Jesus saying, hey, I'm leaving and you can't go with me. There's another way that we could understand Peter's words in verse 36. It's almost as if Peter said, wait, hang on a second, Jesus. Wait a minute. What are you talking about going somewhere, and why can't I go with you? See, Peter missed all of that about the new commandment of love. He loved Jesus so much that he couldn't bear to hear the hard news that Jesus was going away. For Peter, Jesus wasn't a historical figure that he read about in a book. Peter wasn't some wise teacher who was giving him some good life tips. No, it was personal. Because for Peter, Jesus was a person. He was his friend. He loved him deeply. There's something vital here that we need not pass over. This is the heart of the Christian faith. And the heart of the Christian faith is a relationship. Jesus. A deeply personal, deeply intimate relationship. And you know what? Relationships, this deep, this personal, they're raw. They're messy. They're clumsy. But there's beauty in all of that. Because this is not a one-directional relationship. Before Peter loved Jesus, Jesus loved Peter. And, and we've got to start there. You've got to hear that loudly and clearly because the conversation that is going to ensue is going to sound a little bit, maybe a lot like a rebuke. But know this. It is not a rejection. Jesus is rebuking Peter. He's not rejecting him. There's some things that Peter misses <laughs> there's much that he gets. And primarily what he gets is this love for Jesus. And so my first point of application in this sermon is let us be clumsy like Peter. Let us be clumsy because we love Jesus that much. Now, with that, 
There's more. We'll continue because not only did Peter love, Peter was also impatient. Peter was self-reliant. Peter was clumsy because he was overconfident. They say that pride comes before the fall. Maybe the reason they say that is because the Bible said it first. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter was confident in his own ability. He thought he could persevere. He thought he could stand up to whatever would come his way. He thought that he could persevere through temptation, through resistance, and he said, why can't I go? I'll lay down my life for you. But we know the rest of the story. Jesus is foretelling Peter's denial, a denial that would come in just a matter of a few short hours. Or depending on how you're counting time in five chapters of John's gospel account, we know that, that Peter could not honor his word. He did not keep his promise. Peter failed. Or rather, Peter fell. On one hand, this is a case of pride coming before the fall. But the problem is that when we think too much about this being an illustration of pride becoming the pride coming before the fall, it tends to build up a pride in us. We tend to think that the application of this text is that we must be better than Peter. Well, guess what? Jesus gave Peter his name. Peter is Simon, but Jesus named him Peter, Cephas in Aramaic. In Aramaic and in the Greek, Cephas and Peter translates rock. And Jesus would commission Peter to go and plant the worldwide Church, we are missing the boat entirely if we think the application of this text is to be better than him. And yet we do learn. We learn from Peter because we too can be overconfident in our obedience. Have you ever thought to yourself or said out loud the words, I would never do I would never do that. Let me offer a word of pastoral caution. Tread lightly with those words. There is a folly of misplaced confidence that we see in Peter, and it is true in each and every one of us when we think that in our own strength, we will have the ability to resist sin and temptation. Friends, the Word of God tells us what our experience proves true, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all will continue to sin and fall short of the glory of God until we are with God in glory. Peter is the illustration of overconfidence 
in one's own ability. Peter is the illustration of uttering those words, I would never do that. And all of us have a story ringing in our ears of the times when we have uttered those words only to fall. Don't be overconfident in your ability to resist sin and temptation. And yet, for some, the struggle is not overconfidence, but fear. Fear of what I might or will do. And the problem with that fear is it causes us to then run for safety. Thinking that if I can just isolate myself, if I can just find that safe place, then I'll be free of the temptation to sin. That running for safety, it keeps us away from living into our calling. It keeps us from from experiencing the joy of Jesus Christ. Let me offer an illustration of what happens when we tend to run to safety because of fear. I had a conversation recently with a woman who is um, leading women's ministry in her church. She had, uh, in order to prepare for women's ministry, she had gone and taken uh, some classes in seminary and she was surrounded there in seminary by a group of of largely men they um, at this seminary would open up the school year with a free chick-fil-a lunch it was a fairly well attended lunch and so my friend found herself there in line with a group of men and she's trying to make small talk with the the man beside her, and she just says, so where are you from? He didn't crack a smile. He actually had a little bit of a condescending look on his face. He picked his hand up, showed his wedding ring, and he said, I'm married. She responded and said, don't flatter yourself. I'm here for the chicken. But as she told the story, she talked about how it was just indicative of a lifetime of being around men who had treated her as if she were a temptress and not as a co-image bearer in Christ. Of men who had neglected their call to live into their calling to shepherd and care for others because they treated her as someone to be feared and avoided. You hear the point. When we should not be overconfident in our own ability to resist, but we need to be weary of swinging that pendulum too far in the other direction and letting fear take us out. When I am so afraid of my sin that I don't engage with others, I'm abandoning my call from God. And I'm hurting others. Listen, the point of of this text is not that we should live in fear of our own sinfulness, but that we should place our trust not in ourselves, not in the strength of our own will, but in the Holy Spirit. The remedy for misplaced confidence is appropriately placed confidence. And appropriately placed confidence is not a confidence in myself, in my strength, in my will. Appropriately placed confidence is confidence placed in the Spirit of God. 
We do that practically by acknowledging our own need. Acknowledging our weakness and trusting in the strength, not of my resolve, but in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do that through prayer. We do that through encouragement within the body, and then we live it out in engagement with one another. Friends, the Christian's strength and the Christian's righteousness is not in self. The Christian's strength and the Christian's righteousness is in Jesus and His steadfast love. I focused on Peter. But what about Jesus' response to, to Peter? And Peter's claim that he would lay down his life for Jesus. Well, we find it in verse 38, and it takes a bit of a surprising tone. Will you lay down your life for me? Do you hear the sarcasm in Jesus' voice? What are we to do with that? What are we to do with Jesus responding with sarcasm? We can fill in our own blanks or we can interpret it. We can understand it in a manner that is consistent with his character. Jesus is loving. Jesus has an eternal perspective and Jesus nurtured his disciples and he did so sometimes by taking them through trials. Jesus is not belittling Peter here, but he is making a point to reinforce the lesson. What is the lesson? Well, it's helpful to understand that this this account of Jesus foretelling Peter's denial is found in all four Gospels. And so we look to the other Gospel accounts and then pick up some, some other bits of information that help round out the full story. We look to Luke chapter 22, verse 31. We come to Luke's account and And there we read Jesus' words, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. I don't know about you, but I hear Jesus say those words. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And, And I want to fill in the next sentence for Jesus. I want Jesus to stand up and say, but I told him no way. I waved him off. I put a hedge of protection around you so that he could not get to you. I protected you, Peter. That's what I want Jesus to say. But he didn't say that. It's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't protect Peter from the struggle. Instead, he was with him in the struggle. The next verse Verse 32, Jesus himself fills in his own words. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. I want to make three quick points and one point of application from all of this. The the first is this. this. This is spiritual warfare. And we could spend weeks talking about spiritual warfare, but what I want you to hear today is that Jesus could have stopped this. Jesus had the power to keep Satan at bay. He could have stopped this whole interaction 
but he didn't. Instead, in fact, he took Peter there. He took Peter into this confrontation and he did so to strengthen him. Now, how is Jesus strengthening Peter by taking him into this fight? He's strengthening him by revealing his weakness. He's revealing to Peter that like that little toddler flexing, he doesn't yet have the muscles that he thinks he can depend upon. And when he sees his own weakness, then Jesus strengthens him by drawing him into a deeper union in Christ. That's where our strength is to be found. And that is the point of this spiritual warfare. Jesus could have stopped it. But he took Peter there and he did so for a purpose. Second, this whole saga is likely Peter's worst earthly failure. This is, this is on the, the low light reel of Peter's life. It is his greatest failure, his greatest embarrassment, his greatest sin. He is about to deny Jesus Christ three times. But Peter is not defined by his greatest failure and neither are we. Peter wasn't defined by his failure. Instead, in Christ, he was shaped by it. And in the shaping, he was redirected away from self and to Jesus. Thirdly, I want to acknowledge that Jesus is singling Peter out in this. If we look to Matthew and Mark's accounts of Jesus foretelling Peter's denial, it explicitly states that all of the other disciples said the same thing. Peter said, I won't abandon you. I'll lay down my life for you. And every one of the disciples said the same thing. And every one of them fell away. They all turned tail and ran. Every one of them. And so why is Jesus singling Peter out? Is he picking on him? Is Peter the victim in this whole thing? No, this is a beautiful expression of love, strong love, true love. Jesus is taking Peter through this because he loves him. We talked about Peter's love for Jesus, but Jesus loves Peter. In Luke 22, where I read to you earlier, and Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you, those yous, they're plural. Satan demanded to have all of the disciples. Satan demanded to sift all of the disciples. But when Jesus responds, but I prayed for you, it turns to the singular. Jesus says, I pray for you, Peter. I prayed for you. Jesus is singling Peter out because he's preparing him for a powerful mission. Jesus is singling Peter out because he loves him. And he's praying for him. And you've got to see that the scriptures tell us that the father disciplines the one whom he loves. Discipline is not abandonment. Discipline is not rejection. Discipline is love. It's now a point of application. 
And as I make this point of application, I want to share with you that this point of application is not the main point of the text. It's not even the main point of the sermon, but it needs to be said, it needs to be drawn out. And making this point of application, I want to speak directly to the parents and I want to speak directly to the leaders within the church, the elders and deacons assigned to shepherd and serve the church of Jesus Christ. Your calling is not to protect from hard things. Your calling is not to shelter and isolate from difficult times. Parents, elders, deacons, all of us, our calling is not to protect, it is to equip. It is to pray for. It is to be with. Friends, trust the Savior who lovingly prayed for Peter through the sifting. We're not the rescuer. Newsflash, we're not the rescuer. Jesus is. And He is at work in us just as He was at work with Peter with an eternal perspective that walks with Him through the hard, through the suffering, and through the hard and the suffering, Jesus is shaping us. So that we might grow in Christ's dependence and Christ's likeness. Parents, leaders, your call is not to rescue. It's to equip. It's to pray. It's to be with. This is the picture of Jesus' steadfastness in His shepherding. But how does this text point to Jesus' steadfastness in His sacrifice? I read verse 38 to you and drew out the touch of sarcasm in it. The, the sarcasm in verse 38 is, will you? But there's more. There's also irony. And the irony is, will you lay down your life for me? Listen, on one hand, Peter couldn't go where Jesus was going because it wasn't yet time for Peter to die. Jesus knew that. But on the other hand, Peter couldn't go where Jesus was going because only Jesus can lay down his life for another. Only Jesus can be the sacrificial substitute lamb. This is the heart of of the gospel. The God-man became the perfect lamb who on the cross would take on himself the sins of the world. He is the perfect lamb who on the cross would, would bear our sins, would bear our shame, and in doing so would grant us an earned forgiveness that we don't earn, Jesus earned it. By taking our place in death. But that's not all that Jesus did on the cross. He gave us His forgiveness by bearing our guilt. But He went one step further. He gave His righteousness. He gave His perfection. He placed on us His perfect cloak of righteousness so that when the Father looks down on us, He sees Jesus. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can take our place in death 
that he might grant us a place with him in life. And that place is never earned or deserved. By evidence of this text, Jesus is telling Peter, you're confident and you're going to fail me. It's your sin. But you're mine. You're mine. The heart of the gospel is this transaction where Jesus takes on our guilt and gives us His righteousness. And that is never earned or deserved. It is given. And we receive it by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Peter loved Jesus. He loved Him deeply. He loved Him dearly. But he loved Jesus in an imperfect way. And though he would deny Jesus, just like you and I deny Jesus, Jesus loved Peter. He loves us. But as opposed to Peter's love for Jesus, Jesus loved perfectly. And Jesus loved completely. And this, my friends, is what makes Christianity so distinct from any other purported world religion. Because in all of the other religions, the the direction is, is the deity sets up a code of ethics that if the followers will follow obediently, then they will have a place with the deity. But in Christianity, God Almighty says, No, I have made a way for my people to be with me, and it's through the death of my Son. God did this even though they and we deny and abandon Him. That truth is what also makes Christianity so powerful because it is not a religion. It is a relationship initiated by God, received by us. And that truth might just be the most powerful apologetic that tells us this is true. It is all true. I opened with an image, the image of a little toddler flexing his muscles and the cuteness of it is found in there were no muscles. <laughs> I told you it was a picture of Peter, it's a picture of us, it's a picture of the folly of misplaced confidence. But there's another side of that picture. You know those images where you look at it from one direction, you see one image and you look at it from another, you see a different one, a picture of the toddler flexing his muscles on one hand is misplaced confidence, but from another perspective, it is the picture of perfect strength. When the basis of that strength is redirected, while there is folly in misplaced confidence, there is security in acknowledged weakness. We're hearing the story of the Apostle Peter and his spiritual warfare. There was another Apostle, the Apostle Paul, who also experienced spiritual warfare. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 12 that he was given a messenger from Satan, a thorn in the flesh. And the Apostle Paul prayed, Lord, take it away. Take away this attack. Take away this pain. Whatever that pain is, keep Satan at bay. 
He prayed for the Lord to remove it, but the Lord did not remove it. And so Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, that Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's how Jesus entered in to the spiritual warfare with Paul. And Paul got it and responded, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Peter had to confront his weakness through a painful public failure where he would deny Jesus, just as Jesus said he would. But Jesus was with him, and Jesus affirmed him. You will follow me afterward. I told you that there were hints of hope in this text. The hint of hope is that Jesus, even knowing that Peter was about to deny him, would at the same time affirm him. You see, Peter's denial was not the end of his story. Years later, after a bold and fruitful ministry, Peter would stand up for Jesus by dying a martyr's death. Church history fills in the blanks of what the text here and in John 21 indicate would come later. Under the persecution of Nero in Rome, history tells us that Peter would be martyred. He would be crucified on a cross, but Peter didn't count himself worthy of suffering the same death as his beloved Savior, and he asked instead that his cross would be hung upside down. Peter's greatest failure didn't define him, and neither does it define us. Our failures point to our weakness, and that weakness shapes us and points us to strength in Christ. Beloved, the Christian's confidence is not to be placed in self. The Christian's confidence is to be placed in Jesus' enduring strength. And so let us find our strength in His shepherding. And let us find our life in His sacrifice. Lord Jesus, Your ways are perfect. Your wisdom is unmatched. Your sacrifice is life-giving. And I pray that though each and every one of us, like Peter, will deny you, before tomorrow morning comes, you are our strength, you are our hope, you are our Savior. I pray that we would find strength in our union with you. Transform us. I pray in Christ's name.